Good morning again, everybody. Glad to be back with you for uh, week three of uh, kind of working through vision materials. As a reminder, this was a vision statement that was originally worked through in 2019 um, and kind of sketched out where might we go over the next 10 years at Otter Creek, getting ready for our 100-year anniversary in 2029. You can find that on, your, uh, on the website or the app on your phone. I think you can find it fairly easily, just kind of find it fairly obvious uh, direct, uh, links on there. Uh, so again, the objective, kind of sketching this back out, this originally, as I said, got, I think, presented in 2020, right before the pandemic, and the pandemic happened, and all, all with that. So we thought it might be helpful to kind of review and uh, re-engage on this material going into this new year. So far, here, these are the four classes we've done. We're one week behind, obviously, because of the snow, but today doing current identity and core values. And we'll just kind of work through some of the language that was, used, that was sketched out in that vision statement. And this, this vision document, um, as we said earlier, was crafted by a group, was originally put together by a group of folks uh, selected kind of cross-demographic in the church. They put a lot of this stuff together, kind of saying this is where we think we are, this is what we think we're about, this is the things that we would anticipate perhaps doing, and then the elders had worked through that as well. So a lot of the language today that you'll see in core values and current identity is a cross-section of the church re reporting on this is who we think we are, these are things that we think have been important to us. And so I'm going to ask you in both of those sections, as you'll see again in here in a moment, I'm going to ask you to listen uh, this way, namely, to what degree is the language that was used to describe us as a church a couple of years ago, does that resonate with you? Does that seem apt to you? Uh, and how then have you experienced that or not experienced that in your own experience in the life of Otter Creek as a church? So uh, core values, core identity today, and these are the other kind of pieces that we had, we had looked at. And next week we'll be thinking about some of the things coming forward over the next eight years heading toward 2029. Quick review, week one, we talked about a number of theological core beliefs that, as I don't know if Nate's here or not, but Nate aptly observed that a lot of the stuff that we had sketched out is kind of like somebody deciding they wanted to rewrite the Apostles' Creed, and I thought that was quite, quite accurate. Um, and so it's, it's a lot of basic uh, Christian orthodoxy and Christian <coughs> basic convictions that we've kind of pointed to. Um, mission statement, again, that kind of came into that Otter Creek has had for quite a number of decades, I think, now. And week two, we talked about Scripture and the ways in which we are and or are not in continuity with the Restoration Movement whence we sprung. Mm -hmm. And then a bit about Otter Creek's history and birth with the, the Campbells there very early on and the small rural church that it <coughs> began as, and then some of our recent history, hitting debt-free in 2019, adding the West End Campus in 2021, 2022 still debt-free, and then looking forward from there about how we might best steward uh, having the status of being debt-free. Core values today. So again, I'm going to ask you as, you, as you listen, there's going to be quite a few of these up here, but I'm going to ask you, um, do you think these are good descriptions of who uh, we are as a church? Uh, no, yes, no, and how so has that been for you? In your kind of sense of, yes, this is a good description, no, it's not a good description, what's your experience been like that leads you toward that sort of response? Hospitality. The, uh, and again, so the, 
the value, I've kind of consolidated a few of these up here, but the, the paragraph here is taken directly from the vision document. Hospitality, we're determined to love all people, not just those we already know, but those we've not yet met, not just those with whom we're comfortable, but also those with whom we are not yet comfortable. And again, I'm going to work through all of these, then we'll take a good ch a long chunk for a conversation about how you experience this or not here at, here at Otter Creek. Uh, creativity. We strive to live and work creatively in worship, preaching, teaching, caring for each other, serving the vulnerable and poor in our city, pledge to focus our skills on being creative about new ways to reach people who don't know Jesus. I think that um, I, um, you're going to see in a minute, I'll kind of flash forward to one on uh, the word got used, entrepreneurship, and you may or may not resonate with entrepreneurship. For me, for me, I, I bristle a little bit at entrepreneurship with the church because I don't like too many business metaphors with church. Um, but one of the things that I love about, I know a lot of entrepreneurs, and one of the things I love about entrepreneurs is how they're risk-taking and they're creative to try to do something good in the world um, at, at best. And so I think that um, you combine the sort of notion of creativity and entrepreneurship, it'll pop back up again in a minute. And I think that given that this is kind of part of the, I think, for me, part of the DNA of our church, I would, I would hope you would see that as an invitation to your own sort of work in this local church. Because that's what we saw last year, in the, last week, in the history of this church. That there have been people who have said, here's a real need in the world, so now let's go find a creative way to try to meet the need in the world. I was telling Laura on the way to church, and when I, I keep thinking, and part of this is because of my colleague Emily Stutzman over here and other folks that uh, I get to work with and or read. And, you know, obviously one of the great threats facing the globe right now is climate change. And one of the great threats that that is is especially to the poor in the world. And we can... Um, uh, I think one of the things that has been missed in some conversations in the Christian tradition about climate change is that we want to act like, well, we want to keep doing our good deeds, uh, but, but not realizing that sometimes your good deeds can just get completely obliterated by the things that are happening with climate change. And so, you know, what are kind of interesting things churches can do? Uh, Laura and I have started talking about what would it look like for us, for example, to uh, try to be carbon neutral in our household by, by the end of next year. I don't know what that means yet. I hadn't started studying it enough to know what that might mean. But it might mean, what, what might a church try to say? How could we kind of help contribute to that? Take this seriously in our own community. There's all sorts of issues in the world that need attention, and that could be one. Uh, but it's the one that could be taken seriously by local churches and our church in particular. So hospitality, creativity. Authenticity. I talked about this some last week and about the importance, I think, that I have experienced in my own spiritual formation, about how desperately important it is that we have spaces in which we are authentic about who we are. And there's all sorts of social science research about this, psychological research about this. Um, wonderful uh, Christian psychiatrist named Kurt Thompson who recently had a book called The Soul of Shame, for example. And what he's doing is he's looking at, he and other researchers are looking at the fact that we cannot deal with our stuff and the stuff that inhibits us apart from having relationships in which we are truly open about who we are. And so it's this sort of authenticity that's pointed to here. Confessing to one another, uh, and again, confessing not as some sort of, as I think I thought in my 20s, seeing confession as some sort of magic pill, if I will just tell somebody the thing I'm hiding, then I'll be healed. But confession as a sort of posture of the self. 
being open and authentic about this is who I am. This is my struggles. This is things that I think I'm okay at and pretty good at, and you help me think how I'm be good at it. And these are the things I keep falling into, things I keep doing that I wish I wouldn't do. Um, and so even kind of the stuff, I don't know if you, many of you have read Brene Brown, right? But Brene Brown says that uh, there's this fascinating research that shows that people who have a high sense of shame continue to propagate their own brokenness. Because what shame does is it leads us to hide, and that hiding keeps us from being giving exposure to the stuff we need to give exposure to, and the pain of that propagates us to go back to the thing that we use to try to alleviate our pain that fuels the shame spiral. But watch this. She also says that there is a high correlation between people who have an acute sense of guilt in absence of shame in their growth. In other words, when you think about guilt not as what a crap piece I am, instead you think about guilt as saying, this is what I want to be, and I didn't do that today. And to be able to very simply acknowledge, I didn't do what I wanted to do today. I wasn't who I wanted to be today. I did some things today I didn't want to do. And simply acknowledge it without kind of beating ourselves up, she says those are the people that we see that are able to make true growth in themselves. And so having an opportunity to facilitate that kind of community in our church context, I think, is crucial. I will tell you that, um, as, I, as I often tell my students, you know, you've got to be um, one of the four cardinal virtues of prudence, and not everybody can handle you being honest. They really can't. And it's why, for example, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his wonderful book, Life Together, he talks a lot about confession, um, but he has another chapter, a short chapter, about the ministry of keeping your mouth shut. <laughs> and because he knows that you can't have a church context, a church community that's healthy and talking about themselves, if the people that are being talked to don't keep their mouth shut. You know, part of your responsibility, even if somebody shares something with you vulnerably, is you to keep your mouth shut. But not everybody can do that. And so we have to be prudent in who we choose to be honest with. Um, I somehow missed something up here, but entrepreneurship. Rich history and starting new ministries. This does go along with the thoughtful service piece. Um, but we've done so much stuff, as we saw in the, in the history last week. So many thoughtful ways of creating ministries, contributing to other ministries in our community. Um, and we do have a rich legacy of that here. And then that hooks up with the second piece of entrepreneurship, rich history and starting new ministries, leverage our past successes to launch bold new initiatives, um, will be known as risk takers in this regard. A unity and diversity. The language again from the vision statement, we value diverse opinions about the Bible and encourage civility when we disagree about the meaning of Scripture. We will build on our theological diversity and pursue ways for our church family and our leadership to grow in ethnic, economic, racial, and gender diversity for the sake of being able to relate to all who seek Jesus. Our vision says we are a church family that seeks relationship with everyone in our community. So obviously, pointing to um, especially our history here in the sense that this has been a church in which there's a kind of substantive amount of theological diversity. And you can find somebody who thinks just about something, just about anything theologically probably, um, you know, that's a little overstated, but um, not too much overstated probably, um, within the Christian, the breadth of the Christian tradition in, in at Otter Creek. And then pointing towards 
uh, what might it look like for us to grow in additional forms of diversity in our church context. Intentional evangelism. Uh, we'll be intentional about connecting with non-believers concerning our passion for Jesus. Be creative in this endeavor as we teach, live, and demonstrate the power of Jesus in increasingly secular American context. Celebrate when non-believers become Jesus people. Um, I think there's been a fair amount of reflection by a good number of folks who worked on this. This next sentence, our past evangelism efforts have lacked intentionality. We desire to change this. So then the question, um, in, in what ways in your experience are these apt descriptions of our church? In what ways do you think, I'm not so sure about that one. Uh, and what's been your personal experience on any of these things? When this was presented a couple of years ago, I appreciated that hospitality was included. I work in the hospitality industry, um, and that industry tends to be a secular industry, but the idea and the concept behind hospitality is so biblical and Christ-like um, and rooted in that. However, ironically, um, I think that we do fail in that core value here at times. I was recently with um, a group of women from Otter Creek, and we were talking about, it was a small group, if group, if any other if group, but um, we were talking about community and somebody else, so I won't claim this, but put it this way. She said Otter Creek is, um, in her perspective, tends to be a lot of people that are very involved in really great ministries that just can't seem to find each other. Um, and I thought that that was a really accurate way of describing it. Um, I think while there are great ministries and there are great ways to plug in here, it can really quickly and easily feel um, like there are so many people around you that you don't know or you're not connected with and how do I get connected with these people and how do I get involved. Um, I personally have had a lot of experiences of um, just being unknown or I knew someone and they had no clue who I was, and not to sound like they should know who I am, <laughs> but um, just that disconnect that um, has often been felt. And I learned when, when chatting with the, those women recently that I wasn't alone in that feeling. Um, so I think hospitality is, and radical hospitality is so necessary. Um, but we should maybe look a little bit more carefully at how we're really approaching that. Thank you. Thanks very much. Appreciate you sharing. Somebody else? Similar experience on that or other core values up here? I think what she said is really poignant, and it, it actually speaks oddly enough to the whole racial integration issue. Uh, the other night I was over at West End for the film, and... Uh, had a panel, and one of the people on the panel, uh, a, an African-American guy, talked about his, the biggest burden he carried was loneliness. And I sat there thinking, that problem is a lot bigger than just racial. Uh, I'd be a pretty good slug of any church. The people sit in the pew, even if they've got a small group and they, they know a lot of people and maybe leadership, the ex loneliness is a huge existential issue and this whole idea of the hospitality and the interconnectedness of people 
uh, that is a, she's right, that is a huge issue, but it goes way beyond just Otter Creek. Thank you. Somebody else? Again, on this issue or others? If I find like the, the authenticity piece of it, of finding some people you can have that with, um, and you know, kind of developing some kind of deeper relationships to be a challenge to then also be hospitable and welcoming to everyone because it's so hard to be like friends with everybody in this room and also like have strong connections and then not wanting to feel like you're you know a high school clique, right? I've got these people I've, I want to and need to have deep relationship with because that's important, but also to feel welcoming. And just I think it's just always a very hard balance. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, yeah, that's another important piece of it all. Somebody else? Say, the, the reason that we're sitting here this morning is, in a large part is due to the unity and diversity that yeah, I think is represented well here at Otter Creek. Um, and I think, you know, uh, when, when, I was, when we were going through the membership class, uh, someone else uh, in there was talking about uh, the feeling that they had because some of the things that Josh might say on Sunday, <coughs> other preachers that he knows, they, they would have been fired by 3 p.m. that day. <coughs> and, um, and I can really uh, appreciate that. And, and, and you, know, you know, you brought up climate change. There'd be some churches, if you brought that up, that people would have got up and walked out the room. And, and, I, and I don't want everybody to um, agree with me, even though I believe what I believe because I think I'm right, you know, like we all do. Um, but but I, I think the just the ability to acknowledge that, you know, we all do believe what we believe because we think we're right, but also that probably means that, that we have something wrong and and we're willing to 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 I guess live in that tension together, however you want yeah. to phrase that. Yeah. And I, I, I feel that and we're new newer um and so um, that's been a blessing for us, having ha not had that experience necessarily at other places. Thank you. Um, on unity and diversity, I see... Um, Can y'all hear Cherry back there? I'll talk a little louder. <laughs> Within our church, I feel like we do a really good job of allowing... I'm going to talk about gender with like women teaching and being super involved in like the children's department and ministry like I go over there and I see Jenny and Dawn and Heather and all of them leading there but um, I asked this question a couple of years ago before the pandemic about like why whenever you click on our elders on the website it, I know that this is going to take a lot of work but like why do we not see any women elevated to that status of leadership um, and it, I keep asking the question, and I know that it, like I said, it takes a lot of work, but like, do we think that, do you think that that's something, like, in the trajectory of this vision 2029, that over the next 10, eight or nine or 10 years, we will see women elevated to that status of leadership? And, um. like, just, um, because it ties in, I feel like, a lot with the thoughtful service and the hospitality. Like, there's a lot of issues that I have dealt with as a woman that I don't necessarily feel comfortable talking to a 
white male elder about. Um, and so if there was a woman elder that I could bring something to, I feel like that would help with the hospitality and the authenticity and the honesty. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I know it's a touchy subject, but I just, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's different for you to ask me my thoughts on it and for you to ask me <laughs> my thoughts as an elder presenting this morning. Well, so, so let me, and I, I I'm going like, and that's me being off. That. That's I don't me. Mean any offense to that. No, no, no. No, yeah. Elder. No, no, of course. Um, and so, um, the, the short answer I'll provide at the moment is that we've got a chunk to talk about that particular question next week. Because there is something in our, in our vision statement about we plan to. <laughs> address precisely that question over the next decade, so that's 2019 to 2019 to 2029, the vision said we're going to talk about this and discern about this. But is it just going to be that same answer like every couple of years, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, again, again, um, there are... Um, um, what are you doing to discern this currently? Yeah, so there's, there's been the theology, and this is public knowledge, the theology committee has been working on this issue for a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, we've made a recommendation, and the recommendation is being looked at. And so um, there's, there's active discernment about this particular issue. It's not, it's not something that people are saying, we'll talk about that and patting you on the head. It's like we've been very actively working on this issue and trying to discern what does this look like? And I, I'm maybe not supposed to know this, but I feel like it would be helpful for to say too, there have been women a part of that panel? Correct. That was my next question. Are women involved in that discernment? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Quite a few. Okay. Um, and and, and I should, to be fair, I should say um, quite a few and women having different perspectives and convictions on it as well. So. Thank you. But thank, thank you. I appreciate the question. And again, we'll it'll come up again next week. So if you, if you all want to think about that some more in preparation for next week conversation. In an effort to bail you out, I would agree. We've been here about 15 years, Don and I, and uh, I would I would agree certainly that there's a uh, healthy, diverse. Uh, healthy diversity in theological thought, although not as much as that there was 10 years ago. It seems to not be as much. Uh, my experience is that that um, diversity is not reflected in our communal practices, namely worship. Um, you know, our, our experience, our communal experiences together seem to be rather one-dimensional to me, uh, whereas Perhaps there are times in the past that our theological diversity was reflected in our communal experience, and that's not my experience. Um, I'm wondering, given that, because uh, I, I took the poll, I took the poll in the room last week, and I think we're two thirds to three fourths people from Church of Christ background or Stone Campbell background at least, and so I think for Stone Campbell Church of Christ background people. What we do would be would be perceived by a lot of people as diversity because it's different. Mm -hmm. So, do you want to you want to speak to how you see that, perhaps differently than what I said? Some people might experience it as. Yeah. Well, I specifically my, my way of framing that is that our um, worship uh, 
seems one-dimensional theologically. It seems to be particularly kind of reflect the American evangelical. That our, our reason for worship is a response to salvation specifically. And everything we do, the songs we sing, the way we frame worship, uh, there seems to be no... Uh, I, I believe that the theological diversity in the actual congregation reflects people who are struggling with doubt, uh, people who uh, pr prefer and need quiet or meditation, uh, or uh, kind of more of a liturgical, uh, instead of, you know, prayers offered in, you know, in the traditional evangelical way that, that actually prayers that are read, ancient prayers. I mean, there, there are ways um, that are dynamic and creative ways of expressing our experience, our communal experience with God uh, that are not reflected in our communal worship, if I'm being clear. Uh, and, and so that would seem to reason that um, the, the, the diversity is not being uh, ref, reflected. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if that makes sense. Uh, the, the people who are, you know, kind of have more of an evangelical bent in terms of their experience of God, their worship experience is, you know, resonates. For those of our congregation who have a different way of experiencing God, even in a particular week. Someone's lost a loved one, someone is deeply in doubt or questioning their faith. Their experience of God is not reflected in our worship because our worship is, uh, I, I think, pretty profoundly one-dimensional. I'm literally dealing with this right now. Like, I feel like the Holy Spirit needs me to talk. Um, same, we've lost somebody, and doubt creeps in. And I, I sit here and I think, we have incredible theologians. I, I've seen, I sat in your classes before, and your wife's classes before, and been, been through that experience where like, okay, that makes sense. Like, yeah, God put these saviors all through the Bible, and they all failed, and now I'm doubting, like, if you knew we all failed, then why are we here? And, you know, the doubt that you go through when you're experiencing death. And this whole thing is exactly, it's like you come to church and it's the same thing. It doesn't help feed the Christian who's really hurting that week. Um, so thank you for saying that and back to the hospitality we're getting further and further away from each other because we're trying to be too entrepreneurial and add too many services to our plate and as a mother I know that that's why you hear the women talking in here because we take on more and more and more and we get further away from the relationships so that scares me about this whole vision that we're already divided, not because of our beliefs, we're divided because of our time. And everybody wants to be a part of something and make a difference, and that's beautiful, but how do we make sure that we are communal about it? It's really important. When was the last time we had a men's retreat? Well, you know, it's funny, you're talking about the women's retreat, that's next week, and the women won't be here to talk about what, what you're talking about. Oh, really? Here. Are you, is that going through Sunday? Okay. Yeah. Well, first, first, let me thank you for expressing, and I'm sorry for your grief and uh, blessing on you, and for your um, vulnerability in, in sharing that. And then, um, and then I heard you just to summarize what I also heard you say. Part two there was um, the entrepreneurial risk-taking growth piece, 
um, you're seeing as actually a threat to hospitality to each other. It can be a great thing, but also where are the boundaries? Yeah. You know, and, and what do we take off our plate in order to make the next thing more communal and successful together? Yeah. Thank and you. I love that this church has such a good outreach and wants to try the new things in the in the area and be a part of that, but I see where it divides yeah. because we're a big church. Yeah, and there um there's a piece in the second thing here um about precisely about the tension that happens because of being a larger church. And I think that um I, you know, in my mind um I think you put your finger on something that's of major importance and um, in my mind needs more attention as well you know you know because sociologically it's simply true that groups change at a, a number of markers of size and so um, a lot of these things of lack of hospitality to each other sense of loneliness uh, these are exacerbated as you say by particular kinds of church approach to church so thank you very much I was going to say this hospitality. Um, I, I don't. It's really hard to get to know people if we're just in class, we're in service, we go home. The women have have a retreat. They do a lot of women's Bible studies. I think a lot of people, a lot of women, connect with each other through those sorts of things. But I, don't, I mean, we have small groups, and you get to know people in your small groups. But I, you know, like. When I first came here, I got to know a lot of people through a, a men's retreat. And most of those people are probably gone. A lot of people. Um, who's been here um, since the pandemic? Who's placed membership? Like yeah, like new. Yeah, so Two couples, I'm three sorry, couples. I don't know you guys. Yeah. But I'd, <laughs> I'd like to meet you after class. <laughs> Thank you. But, like, I wonder, like... Um, I don't remember what the paragraph about hospitality said, but it seemed to refer more to hospitality to those outside of Otter Creek, not really hospitality to one another. Like, that's sort of a given. We're doing that, whatever. We're mostly outward-focused regarding hospitality. But um, I'm not sure that it's possible to be hospitable to a 1,000 people that we are, um, you know go to the same church, we're members of the same church together. Um, one of the things Eric and I have missed the most being here, as opposed to where we were before, um, was potlucks. And um, you can't eat together with a thousand people in our gym. Like, it's just not, it's not possible. And even at our old church, I didn't know everyone. It's, that's five, you know, 300 people. It's really hard to know all the people. This morning I got asked if I was new, if I go here. I'm like, I do, I actually do go here. And then when I said what my name was, they knew Eric. But, um, you, you know, uh, when we were coming here, um, the I've said this before, the, the kids, uh, the senior siblings, you know, that's when the statement was made about women being able to whatever from the the pulpit or from the stage and we weren't here yet but I remember thinking because we were in the process of coming to interview or whatever I remember thinking I can be known there because my voice would could be heard and uh, a time or two I've been able to you know lead 
communion meditation or whatever. And I know that I'll never know everybody in this in this um, church, but I know that my voice is um, able to be heard on a Sunday morning talking to the people who I claim as my um, siblings in Christ. And that is something. It's not everything, but it's something that... Um, it's not that I'm not trying to say it's the same as knowing, knowing, and being in each other's home and being authentic, but um, in that little regard, it feels like I have more of a place than another place. It, it's one, it's one, one form of hospitality. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. This is all great. Really good stuff. Thank you so much. Let me move to the next a bit of material, and we'll have some time as well for more conversations. So just a little bit more about identity. And again, these are kind of descriptions that people put into the vision statement in 2019 about things they thought characterized us. Again, how are these apt? How are they not? Um, how so? How is that the case for you? Uh, serving children and families, a lot of history there in various ministries, um, both in the church and uh, external ministries to the community. Um, again, theologically diverse and open-minded. Um, open minus tolerance allows us to differ on many things while sharing core beliefs about uh, Christianity. Scholarship and creativity, um, church values, biblical scholarship, creativity, human authenticity. We love to wrestle with the Bible, studious as well as intellectually curious. Um, church community, value our church community. This is an amazing blessing. It also creates a challenge to fully engage and minister people outside our church community. And, and it's interesting that that language is there, but it didn't, it didn't point to the insider church community, as, as several of you have noted. So I think that's, a, that's an important place of perhaps um, oversight or failure to think through that. Um, cultural discernment. We study and discuss cultural issues in relationship with the Bible. And generosity. Uh, this was kind of broken out into two forms. I just put it under one heading, financial support to the local church and international missions, as well as time and support for outreach efforts, often outside, often both inside and outside our local uh, community. Take initiative, initiate and launch a variety of ministries and gather. Uh, the language was, we love to worship and pray together on Sunday mornings. And honor marriages, we're a church that places emphasis and provides resources for strengthening marriages. So again, let me ask, um, hit those obviously pretty quickly, because I want to hear more from you than from me. But So tell us a little bit about how, how are these app descriptions, how are they not? What's it been like for you in regard to these kind of identity markers of the church? With regard to theologically diverse uh, and scholarship and creativity and serving children um, and this unity and diversity idea, it's kind of interesting with the, like, with the understanding of what that diversity of theology is um, that somehow we landed on a Southern Baptist uh, curriculum for our children. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got to see a lot more of that during the pandemic because it was on a you know it was on a screen in my living room and I was around in the classroom. Um, that that would certainly not be my first choice. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying to get some notes down. Stuff everybody said. 
I know for me that you know even when we were I was on this committee uh, I hardly remember it but, um, but you know I still just don't think that this does justice to folks who are single and single. I mean it just I mean it feels like I mean I'm not sure where I even would hear my places you know um, you know. Even the, even the focus on marriages, you know, presumes you should be married. So, um, I don't know what the answer to that is. I just don't feel like it's quite, um, I feel like it, there are people who would feel very left out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Thanks. Anybody else? I think they'll be serving children. I've, I've gotten to work with, uh, I guess when Federal Group started, so about a decade ago, now they're sophomores in college, and just seeing what this church provides for children of, of every age, now we have a six and eight year old, and just seeing, I, I think that draws a lot of people here, especially people who don't come Sunday morning, come others, and I think connecting, using that as a way to connect others through the hospitality, through the you know, knowing people, etc. Um, how do you take the model of serving children and, and somehow apply that up to adults? But I think the children know each other well. I think they, you know, have programs together. I think they do other things. And I see it go really well. And I think kind of that steps into the theological diversity for me. Uh, being non-church of Christ, it has been challenging to be here for 15 years. Uh, you know, you have to pick somewhere. Wife Church of Christ, obviously, you know, women leadership's happening back here. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it, is, it is interesting to sit there and hear about diversity in kind of, uh, for me, I still see it as a narrow sliver of diversity within Church of Christ. And it's not full diversity of, uh, in a time where memberships are shrinking, memberships, you know, church growth overall is going down, uh, you can't appeal to everyone, and I don't think it's a marketing effort, but how do you diversify um, with other denominations and view it more as one Christianity and less about one Church of Christ and kind of a denominational, uh, we're incrementally making steps in the Church of Christ, we're not making steps in the Christian faith necessarily sometimes. It, not making steps in terms of finding ways to be concretely yes. embracing broader denominational sorts of diversity. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Somebody else? In terms of scholarship and creativity and serious and curious, that's something I really appreciated. Um, in my short time here, it feels like it is a, a place where you can just, well, come with your questions and be a nerd even. And I was telling uh, recently, within a month, I think I recommended three books just in passing to people in various places of the church, like a small group or a Vesper service, and within weeks, they came back and said, hey, I bought that book and read it. <laughs> and I thought, that's really cool. You know, and it just, it's just, I feel like there's an atmosphere here of intellectual curiosity and um, just wanting to go deeper in our faith that way that I really appreciate. Thanks, Kim. Somebody else? Somebody who is relatively new. Um, well, I think picture's still on the. Uh, hey, these people are <laughs> But um, you know, you talked about built-in shades, and I I 
so appreciate that this conversation can happen. Like people are talking about, hey, I kind of have beef with this. Hey, I kind of have a problem with this. And um, I, as somebody new looking in, um, I just hope that you identify with maybe the, the guilt we can grow and not the shame of beating our church, of this church up. Because um, all of these things are the reason we're here. We were stagnant. Um, you know, we, we have a four-year-old, we've got to have another one. Um, you know, and, and we had community. We had close friends at our other church. But we were left lukewarm every week about Jesus. And we didn't feel fed. We didn't feel like the questions were being asked. We didn't feel the ability to ask them. We didn't feel... Um, you know, it felt like we've been doing things the last 60 years this way, you know, and it was, um, so to have kind of that new breath of fresh air and the ability for Josh to say some things from the pulpit that I agree with, like any other church, they, they would have been a conversation about 3 p.m. and there would have been a new preacher. Um, and so just to kind of say, um, what a blessing it is that this conversation can happen and you know we really we chose some of this growth and stretching over community because we decided for our family if we're lukewarm about Jesus our kids can be ice cold and that wasn't okay and so um, I just I just wanted to maybe <laughs> encourage or remind about some of those those really good things, especially if you're a person walking into this and going, wow, this is so much different than the culture we had been a part of, and I'm, I'm glad we can have these conversations. I'm not saying, hey, let's stay stagnant, but, but um, I don't want to go there again, but, you know, just to kind of say, like, maybe focusing on that guilt, this is where we have places for growth and not the shame of, man, we are just really not doing this well. Yeah. Um, and, and so just... Yep, that's very very helpful frame, I think. Thank you. Can I make a quick plug for something really Please. Quick? I know you talked about retreat. I know the women's retreat is coming up, but um, the consignment cell is coming up. And before we started coming to church here, I started working the consignment cell when our youngest was... <coughs> But I was still pregnant with our, our oldest, who's now 12. And I feel like it hits on all of those things up there. You serve children. You're able to be around your church community. You're, you're able to gather with people in the church. You're able to see people who come in from within the community that have never stepped foot in a church before, but they're in our, our gym buying clothes at a really cheap price. <laughs> and I call it consignment camp because you kind of are thrown into like all of these people that like, I, I don't know, I didn't know a lot of them until I, I worked like a four-hour shift with them. And it's just, it's a really easy way to start connecting and putting faces with names while serving our kids and meeting people from the community. And it's like, if you sign up for a four-hour shift, that's all they ask of you. And so I just feel like it hits on a lot of those and you don't have to go to Africa or, it's just, it's a quick hit where you get to like meet a lot of people and start making connections. And I feel like a lot of times that gets, doesn't get swept under the rug, but a lot of people don't know that it's like a, a really good connector. And, yep. it, and men can work, women can work, older children can work. So it's just all those things put together. Yep. And I feel like we do a really good job with that. And how much money has it raised? It's almost a million. This year we should be able to hit the million dollar mark. 
Yeah, so, that's amazing. If you have four hours to give, you can even give like a five to nine shift if you don't have time during the day or a Saturday or Sunday shift. Thank you. It's a great connection. One or two more before we close. I, I would just say I, I really appreciate this conversation because uh, this is the communal discernment that we have to do as a church to execute the vision well. And there are some of these things that are almost uh, some, some different areas of our identity and our values almost have a little bit of an inverse relationship to, to one another. So in our, in our effort to be hospitable and authentic, uh, you know, Brene Brown would say clarity is kindness. So we want to be super clear about, um, about things. But in, in so doing, we could possibly tamp down our theological diversity by saying we want to be clear this is what we believe, and then in that process we're culling out differing opinions. So, so there are some things that um, if you, you constantly have to weigh and, and navigate and balance, and, and I think communal discernment is, is important to, to all that. And, of course, a lot of those things that you're weighing and wrestling through all have pragmatic implications to our ecclesiology and you know, how we do church. And so along the way, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're wrestling with all these ideas, but also making decisions about implementation. And so, so all that to say, there's no way to do all these things perfectly. This is a, you know, Blake got in the room with a bunch of people. I was in the room too. I also yes. Blake, uh, I remember you being there. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I, I, I wasn't there a lot. I missed a lot of those meetings. But, um, but it, it, you know, it's a, it's an aspirational stab at what we would like to be as a church. And there's no way to do it perfectly. But what's important is to have something out front of us so that we can then do this communal discernment of wrestling with it and figuring out what it means and where we need to grow and do better. So um, anyway, all, all that to say, I recognize um, as a staff person of this church that we're not doing this perfectly and that we have room to grow. And it's immensely helpful to hear some of the comments that have been made to help us kind of hone in on where, where we're going to Yeah, and I, and I would, I would second in the sense that um, from our heritage and restorationist movement, you know, the, you can think of restorationist movement as a, in my mind, pretty unhealthy thing of we got all this figured out and there it is. Or you think of a really healthy thing of we are always seeking to, to in our place, in our context, do better at living out the gospel. Um, and then from my work in moral philosophy and teaching virtue theories and so forth, one of the things the virtue traditions always teach us is that you're always, you know, one of the virtues is magnanimity. And magnanimity is striving for... Um, excellence in whatever thing, and you're always discovering new things, right? If you live with magnanimity, it's like next year you're going to realize, oh, I, I've been overlooking this for a long time, and now I can get to lean into this, right? And so I think a community that seeks to do this as well can continue to appreciate things that we've, we've tried to do and tried to do well, and then say, but that allows us to see X, Y, and Z. So, thank you. Uh, Laura has a question, then we'll go. I just had a question. There may not be enough time, but I wondered if you or Eric could give examples of the ways that Otter Creek has practiced cultural discernment in the last three or five years. Do you know what any particularities there were under uh, that? I'd probably have to go back and read the broader language, but I think about, uh, going back to Cherry's question, um, about women in leadership, um, there are cultural implications there as well that we have to discern. So I don't know if that's exactly what that poet is getting at. And maybe you know, like a lot of the stuff that we've done with racial justice as well, trying to sort through yeah. some of that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you all. Blessings. We look forward to seeing you next week.